Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Have you ever tried to get somewhere going so fast that you miss the scenery? How many of you dads travel like that? Point A to point B. The ultimate goal is to get to where we're going rather than enjoying the journey as you go. So we have to realize that in life, it's a journey. And God wants us to get from the beginning to the end. And if we're not careful, we will go so fast trying to get, maybe we're trying to get to heaven. I don't know what the goal is. Maybe it's just to get through the holidays. Maybe it's to get to uh, whatever your destination is. But God wants you to look around. He wants you to enjoy the joy of the journey. And don't miss what he's doing. He's always up to something good. But often we're so busy and and, and steadfast with what we're focusing on that we miss what God wants us to focus on. So this morning, I'm going to jump right into the message. How many of you survived Christmas? You're like, by the coffee pot, I made it. Right? I appreciate you being here. I know there's a lot of people traveling. Those of you who are going to catch up. On the live stream this week, hey, have an awesome Christmas. Enjoy the family uh, family and relationships and fellowship. That's what it's all about. So, um, But this morning, uh, as I was preparing, I thought about uh, a message titled Process to Promise. That there's always a process to the promise of God. There's promises made, but often they don't just show up. Laura Marilla, I want you to come up here just for a moment. So those of you who have not met my brother-in-law from Brazil, he's here, come all the way up here. Let's let your wife come up first and hold her hand for me so she don't, she don't fall. So, you know, this morning in pre-service prayer, I prayed over you. I said, God, I thank you for the promise of getting them here. Some of you don't know the struggle of the promise, but there was in their heart to come to the U.S., to to make it in time for Christmas, and God fulfilled that. He allowed that. And, and uh, Marillo, you have been a joy and a treasure to our family. I'm glad I met you face-to-face, <laughs> and uh, you're stuck with us now. We say in America, when you marry someone, you marry the family. That can be a blessing or, you know, the other side of that. <laughs> but Marillo, you've been a blessing to us, and, and I'm excited about what God is going to continue to do all over the face of the earth through our family. Because he's built us to be ministers. So we need to marry ministers to be able to keep ministering. But this, this is a fulfillment of a promise. They're here today. It was not easy. It took work. It took prayer. It took, Lord God, help us to get our visas. Help us to get there. But by the grace of God, they're here today. Uh, Laura and Marilla, we did a live stream a few months ago. This is who we were talking to. If you're like, man, I couldn't see them. I didn't know who I was talking to. So Marilla and Laura, they are missionaries that we support from our church directly. And they minister in Brazil doing cell groups and working with the local church and figuring out what this married life looks like. And uh, we're just excited to partner with them. If you've never met them, please make a point to do that today because in just a few days, they're going to have to go back to Brazil. So we love you. We bless you. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. All right. You're welcome. 
So, so there's always a process to the promise. Have you ever heard someone say, trust the process? Ever say that? Say, trust the process. Just keep going with it. You'll see the results with time. Usually this is communicated through a rough patch in your life. It's not always a good season. It's not always a moment of where we're most excited about it. But it's a rough spot, basically saying things look bad now, but there's a plan in place to make it better. Now, for most, you know, this is more concerning than it is comforting because we do not know the plan. When we don't know the plan, it's just as concerning to know that there is a plan happening, but it's just as concerning because we don't know what the plan is. When we don't know what the plan is, how, how many of you are planners you like to know where you're going, what's happening. You're already scheduling out the new year. You want, you, know, you want the plan set out. But God does not always work that way. He doesn't always show us the whole picture. But he does give us promises. But we have to know that there's a process to get to the promise. You know, one of the things uh, is not knowing the plan of the Lord, what it looks like for your life. Have you ever been there? You know the plans for your life are good, but... You're like, God, do you know what you're doing? You ever kind of had those thoughts? Like, Lord, are you sure about this? Are you, you know, is this what your plans were for me? But we have to trust God. And then even when we don't know the plan. You know, one of the things of not knowing what the plan of the Lord is in our life, it, it happens, you know, what happens, but what happens when God reveals a measure of the plan? Does that comfort you or that concerns you more? It really depends what the plan looks like, right? You know, if it's something that is kind of in our little box of comfort and we say, hey, I like that plan, then we're excited about it. But let's say what God has led before you is not the best, safest, most direct route, but yet, nonetheless, it's his plan. Can we trust in the promises that God makes? Will you believe the promise to come to pass? But we can rest assured in the promises of God, God's word, and that which he speaks to us personally by his spirit, we can be confident that he is able to accomplish it. In in Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is what? At work within us. It's actually working inside of us, changing and moving and and, and causing us to become more Christ-like. But that power that's at work within us is the work of the Holy Spirit. It can fill our lives. It can change our lives. It it, it can really cause our lives to be full of great promise if we yield. You know, that's that's the biggest thing. Will we yield to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives? We also know that, that God does not halfway do anything. Do you realize that? Now, I feel like a lot of us feel like, God, you've left me undone. You've, you've left me in a place where you haven't really completed the work that you started. But God always promises to do a completed work. How many of you today have projects at your house that are half done? Or not done at all? You got the list. That's what I call it, the list of all of the things, the honeydews, all of those things that you hope to get to one day. You know, so this last week, Pastor Noe had some extra time at the house. I did a few projects, did a few little things, and... Uh, Becky says, we need to take some more time off more often. You get some of these projects done. And, but, you know, sometimes we're so busy, you know, we just don't make time for them. We, we don't get them done. But we tend to have an undone type process to our life. I'll get to it one day. I'll get to it when there's time. And, but what happens, time keeps ticking away. It seems like there's never enough time. But let me tell you what, God's work is complete. 
And you have to see yourself as a work in progress. Say this after me. Say, I'm sure glad that God is still working on me. Now, if that didn't make you feel any better, better, look to the person to your left or to your right and say, I'm sure glad glad God is still working on you. Because we like that one. I'm glad God's working on you, but are we okay with allowing him to work on me? It's real easy to say, Lord, you got to help my brother here. Lord, you got to change my wife. It's driving me nuts. I was with her the whole week for Christmas, Lord. Is this the blessing you promised? Man, if you're thinking that, you got to hold that to yourself. But, but I, I think that we, we're easy, it's really easy for us to say, Lord, work out something in this person. But will we say, Lord, work that out in me? Allow that process to happen in my heart. So Philippians 1, 6, it says, Be confident of this, that he that began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he is going to continue to work on you. But you've got to allow him access. You've got to give God some time. Some of us, God's got a lot of work to do because we're pretty messed up people. You know, you think him just to snap his finger and say, man, under construction. Got a lot to do. Got to maybe knock down some walls. He's got to rebuild some things. He's got to take out some trash sometimes out of our heart. We don't know what God's doing, but he knows what he's doing. When God wants to remove something and we want to hold on to it, you got to let loose of it and trust the process. You don't know what that's going to cause you in the future. Some of us may have dabbled in sin for a season and we're still carrying it today because we didn't trust the Lord and maybe we took what we wanted or what we thought was best and and that process changes. The plan changes. Not that God can't redeem it. You know, I always think about this perfect will of God, this sovereign will of God, like do all roads lead to the same place? I think God's agenda for our life is always the same, but we schedule our own detours. The moment we make a poor choice, we marry the wrong person, we commit to the same thing, we commit a certain sin, whatever it is, it causes a detour. But you know what the heart of God says and what the heart of God does? He says, rerouting, recalibrating, turn around, you missed your turn. He's going to always calibrate back to the place that he's called you to. But you have to know, what is that destination? What is that plan? What is that promise that God has made for you? Now, this morning, you may be judging me and say, well, Pastor Noah, you know what God has called you to. He's called you to be a pastor. It's easy for you. Well, let me tell you what. It, did not, it was not easy getting to this platform. I did not know I was called to be a pastor. Like, you didn't know that? You weren't called at a young age while you're eating Fruit Loops? No, I was not. It didn't happen like that, but I began to follow God in every season of my life, in every step, and this is where the destination has led up to this point. We can't even say that this is the end. This is the fulfillment of all of the things in my life, but this is the plan that God has for me right now in this moment. But it's significant to me because it's personal to me. So you have to figure out what is the specific plan that God has called you to. Because then all the pressure's off. It's not you trying to be like me or me trying to be like you. It's just doing what God has called you and designed you and planned for you to do. But that's the joy of it. Because it takes the pressure off of you also. Because do you know there's only one of you? So many of us are trying to be other people. Or trying to be like someone else or pursue. You know how much pressure that is? Man, it's almost unachievable. You can mimic, you can act like, you can try to, you can wear the same outfit. But let me tell you what, it don't matter if you wear the same outfit. 
you may never look as good as that person. Right? Because it always deals with what is inside. What has God fashioned? What has he formed? What has he called you to do? What plan does he have for your life? The longer it takes you to figure that out, the more time we will waste. And I say waste. You know, you hit these midlife crises. I mean, I, don't, I pray to God I never hit a midlife crisis. I just keep jumping the hurdles. I might trip the older I get, you know, just can't jump like I used to jump. You know, the other day, we were at the house, and my little, my little daughter, Grace, she's been super excited about gymnastics and handstands and all of these things. Well, long, long time ago, way back when, Pastor Noe was in gymnastics a long time ago, so I've been coaching her, and they didn't believe me. I'll tell you what, the next day, my joints and my shoulders and my elbows hurt, but Grace does not like to lose. So she said, Daddy, let's see who can do the longest handstand. You're like, Pastor Noah, you can do a handstand? Absolutely. I'll take up a love offering and we'll donate it somewhere if you don't think I can. But I got a video because it's like a one and done thing, right? Made them, so, so she was going the first time she beat me. The second time I destroyed her. Man, she was so mad. I said, let's do it again. No, Dad, I don't want she. She does not like to lose. But let me tell you what. She was trying to beat me rather than just being herself. And that's what it's always about. It's always about a competition. It's always about who's better, who's worse, what are you good at. Like, if you're sitting there, you know, a guy's in a conversation, it's going to be about what we're good at. Well, I caught a fish this size one time. Well, I shot a deer this size one time. Well, the one-up game, you ever played that? It's always about what you've done or what you've accomplished or the, hey, look at me show. You know, as a deer hunter or knowing people that are deer hunters that pay for shooting big deer, I don't ever do that. But you have people that pay to shoot big deer in a closed fence. So what do you do when you shoot a big deer that costs you, I don't know, $10,000? What do you do next? You what? Get it out of the pen. But the only thing to do then is what? Pay $15,000 in an enclosed fence to shoot a bigger deer. Then what? Well, I'm going to shoot a twenty thousand. Man, just give me your money. But it's always, what's next? What's next? What's next? And there is this desire to always do better in things that absolutely are meaningless. Do you know that a deer with no antlers eats just as good as a deer with a lot of antlers? Because we're focusing on the wrong things. We're trying to stack our trophies rather than just do what God has built us to do internally. We're trying to have rank and position and we're trying to to, to be exalted in the standards of the world rather than the qualities of what God has created us to be. You've got to realize all this last five minutes, this is not in my notes. So somebody, this is speaking to somebody, you are pursuing the wrong things that have no kingdom significance. You're looking to your left and your right, and that's what you're basing your standard of excelling or failing rather than what God has called you to. What it's going to come down to, what has God planned and fashioned and promised for you? What promises has he spoken over your life? Because that's going to be the measuring stick. So two questions for you. What is it that God has promised to you that you are in the process of walking out? So know that we're all walking out a promise. We might be at the beginning of the race. We might be somewhere in the middle. We might be right about to cross the finish line of it. But what has God promised to you that you're in the process of walking out? you got to know that. You're like, well, no, I'm just spinning circles. Well, stop spinning 
look where you're going and, and say, Lord, what am I to do? Where am I going? What, what am I supposed to do? What have you built me to do? And then once it gives you a direction, go in that direction. Number two, are you willing to embrace the process to get to the promise? Because people don't want to go through the pain to get to the promise. They don't want to go through the waiting time. They don't want to put in the work. They just want to arrive. That's, not, that's often not what happens. So there's always a process to the promise of God. Everyone in Scripture received a promise from the Lord, but they had to go through a process to receive it. Almost every single one of them, if you look at their life, they would, they'd be prophesied over and the Lord would say, this is what you're going to do, this is what I've called you to. But there was still a process. It wasn't just like in that moment they arrived. So we're going to look this morning real quick at the life of Joseph. Joseph received an awesome dream of promise. So this is Joseph with a, with a coat of many colors who was favored by his father. You know, but we realize that he had a promise, but the road to get there, <laughs> it was far from pleasant. Okay, so I'm just going to give you a kind of a quick synopsis of Joseph's life. It can be found in Genesis 37 and then chapters 39 through 45. So if you want to go back and read it later, you can read it. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase, go through it quick. So Joseph was one of Jacob's 12 sons, okay? So his father loved him more. You know, he had, he had two, two, two sons by the, by the wife that he loved the most, and so there was some favoritism there, but there was 12 brothers. And his father loved him more than any others, which, I mean, that's kind of, a, that's kind of an interesting dynamic that's going to cause your family to have a little bit of family drama, but that's how the Scripture says it. But they, he gave him a colored cloak, a, a coat, a jacket that was colorful and bright, but his brothers were jealous of him. And they actually, so much so, that they planned to kill him. You're like, man, that just went to a whole nother level of Christmas drama. Like it wasn't just that they hated his guts or were picking fun at him, but they, they, actually, they actually said in their heart, let's kill him, let's, you know, let's, let's, let's kill this dreamer. You know, um, so what happens is he has this dream. He, he's, a, he's a dreamer. God gives him dreams, and he had this dream where, you know, he would actually rise up and the other brothers would bow down to him, and that ain't what you tell jealous brothers like there's a lot to learn from that story but but this is how it went they were jealous of him they said that they they, they were going to kill him but they planned they planned to kill him but instead they sold him into slavery instead awesome right you didn't get killed but you got slaved uh, sold into slavery that's an awesome deal not but yet god had a promise for his life and then then he was taken to egypt and he eventually became a steward to potiphar and he was one of he was one of pharaoh's officials so we're looking at this timeline there was this promise to be elevated above his brothers, this promise, this hope, but here's how the story is unfolding. So while he's serving Potiphar, you know, he was in charge of all of his household and everything that in Potiphar's house succeeded. Well, Potiphar's wife tried to unsuccessfully seduce him and, and made a claim that, you know, he had tried to sleep with her, blah, 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 and so he gets thrown in prison. Man, this is going just like I want. How many of you want to get to this promise? bad luck so far, right? We're like, man, what is going on? Surely, you know what, and you know what, you know what people are going to say when you see this happen? Maybe you didn't hear God right. Are you sure God is for you? Oh man, they're going to talk against everything in that process to that promise. And they're going to cause, they're going to try to convince you to doubt God's plan. And I mean, I guess Joseph, every time he's just shrugging his shoulders like, all right, Lord. But he remembered the promise but he was forced to walk through the process. But let's keep going. So during this time in prison, he actually interpreted a dream for a chief cupbearer. And, and he asked the cupbearer not to forget him. So the cupbearer, he answers the dream. He gets released from prison. Well, then he goes and he serves uh, under Pharaoh 
for two years. So Joseph sits in prison for two years. Huh, we think we're waiting for two days and we're going to lose our stuff. In prison for two years. At that point, I might lose my religion and think God completely forgot me. Whatever promise and hope that I thought he had, I might feel like, Lord, maybe I missed it. I would start, you know, contradicting myself and not sure of what it is. So then two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. Man, it could not be interpreted. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph. Comes back, Joseph, hey, I'm so sorry. And I'm sure Joseph took a little personal. Hey, yeah, sorry, two years. Thanks, buddy. So he gets out. He interprets the dream. And then, then is what happens. Pharaoh actually makes him governor of Egypt. So, that we're, okay, we're getting to the tail end of this story. He makes, her, he makes him governor of Egypt. You know, so he, and, and there was going to be a huge drought, and there was going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So he, he managed all of, the, all of the, the produce and all of those things. He kept it in the storehouse. And so he wisely rationed the country's produce in preparation for a time of famine. Okay? And so during that time, kind of get to the roundabout of the story Jacob's sons, all the brothers who betrayed him, came to Egypt to plead with Joseph for food. <laughs> I know what I'm doing on my heathen day. <laughs> You're going to go hungry, buddy. Do you not know who I am? Bow down to me. But that wasn't his heart. Because when he saw his brothers, he began to weep. And he was concerned if they had changed or if they, their heart was still towards him to kill him. And so we see in that story that, that they didn't recognize him, but, but you know, he, he tested them. He said, hey, go get my youngest brother, bring him back. And so there's this whole kind of cat and mouse thing. You can read the whole story. It goes on and on and on. So then he goes back, and then his dad's mad, and they all end up coming back. And so at the end of it, he realized that their heart had changed, and, and they, they identified with him, and, and he had joy, and he forgave them. Then Joseph invited his father and his brothers to come and settle in Egypt. Now, let me tell you what, these were hard steps. We can read it and be like, oh, man, it's an awesome fairy tale. No, this was, not a, this was a life lived getting to the promise of what God had promised. Now, how many of you are like, never mind on that promise? I mean, that's kind of how we feel when we're like, if that's what I have to go to to get that place of promise, I'm out, Lord. But there was something about keeping the eyes fixed on the promise that allowed him to prevail through the, promise, through the, through the process. He kept his eyes fixed on what God had told him by his spirit. Proverbs 16.9 in the New American Standard, it says, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Now each of us would say, you sure this is God? Why would God? I don't know. But I'll tell you what, he was cultivating something in Joseph's life that he needed. He was doing something of profit in Joseph's life. We have to realize that everything hard or difficult that we go through, God uses for his glory. Everything. It's not because he's the bad guy and he's forcing it, but he uses these things to his advantage. Say, does God kill people? No. He he said that I, 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 I want all to have life and life abundantly. We have to understand the nature of the devil is to kill, steal, and destroy. But the, the, the plan of God is that we might have life and life more abundantly. So you've got you to understand the contrast of the two. You say, why do these bad things happen? Because there's a devil in the world that wants to kill you. But you still got breath in your lungs. 
Right? We have to realize that God still holds us in the palm of his hand. And that there is an authority thing, but there is a fallen curse thing that we're living. There's going to be sickness. There's going to be accidents. There's going to be hard steps that we have to go through that we don't understand. But we have to understand that God is good in every season of our life. And what God has promised us, if we will endure the process, we will arrive at the promise. Now, I hope you see yourself progressing in this promise. And you're like, man, I've been just sitting on the bench waiting for this thing to work out. you got to put in the steps. Just like, you know how our watch marks how many steps? It's like, be active, take some steps. You haven't met your goal for the day. You look at it and it's under 100 steps. you got to start moving them feet. Think of it spiritually. Right? you got to move. you got to be proactive. you got to get in the game. You know, I'm sure Joseph had thoughts of how this story could have went. But we know that the path taken to promise of God for his life was really different. We're going to look at a few Psalms, 138, 8. And I'm sure these were all were thoughts that Joseph had. He says, the Lord will work out the plan for my life. You ever been there Say that? He's going to work out these details because I don't know what he's doing. But Lord, I'm about to die. right? But Lord, you're going to work out all these plans for you, for your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. And then he says, right, Do, don't abandon me for you made me. We see some emotions here like, man, Lord, don't abandon me. Stay near to me. These are the thoughts that come out in the path to promise. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, let us hold unswaveringly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Everything that he promised, he is faithful to complete it. You notice, he is faithful to complete it. But we have to trust in that promise. What about Isaiah 40, 31? It says, but for those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Do you know that you can actually find strength in the waiting? Two years waiting in prison for something he didn't do. (laughs) It's It's okay when I'm guilty and I get what I deserve. But what happens when I get something I didn't deserve and it was a false accusation and I'm sitting there for two years? Well, I believe even in that two years of waiting, God was renewing his strength. But I'll tell you what, I'm sure there were hills and valleys in that moment. I'm tired of this prison food. Where's this freedom? Where's this hope of promise you told me? All these people bowing down to me. Now, in Joseph's life, do you know that he was even exalted in prison? He was, the, he was lead over all the prisoners. He was always built a leader. Even in every progression, God was building him to a greater capacity to lead in a greater capacity. Tell you what, if you can lead in prison, you can lead in Egypt. Some of us would be so frustrated about being in prison, we wouldn't care. Like, man, you lead yourself. You interpret your own stupid dream. I'd be real frustrated, God. I'd say, good luck, Chuck. And not care. But he was always obedient. He was always obedient to what God had, had used him to. And he always used that gift. So think about this. I can't see it, Lord. You know, so how many of you have ever driven down the road and you've seen a, a, a house being constructed or a building being constructed and every day you pass and you see a little bit of progress? You've, you ever seen those? Or a lack of progress? How many of you are very judgmental of that progress? Well, I don't know what they've been doing the last three months. They should have already had that roof on. Don't they know it's raining? They should have, you know, you get super frustrated and judgmental of the plan. But you know what? You do not have the blueprints in your hands. So it's very easy to be judgmental when I don't have the blueprints and, well, you should have put that shed over there and you should have put that window. You don't know what the blueprints read. 
And we will be the same way of God if we don't get the blueprints for our life. We will be judgmental of what God's doing. We'll say, Lord, what are you doing? We won't understand why he's wanting to put a window here and a door over here. We have to see the blueprints. And only God, the, 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 the architect of our life, can show that to us. Without answers, we tend to be objective of the process we're going through. But guess what? God is an answering kind of God. You know, sometimes God only reveals the next step when you take a step. You say, well, what's next, Lord? I mean, what's next? You haven't even done what I've asked you to do right now. Steps can be hard. Steps sometimes can take a long time. You ever been there? Take a long time. Being I'd have just gave up. And if I had y'all just sit here and say, all right, start the stopwatch. We're going to sit here for 40 minutes. Y'all have done lost your religion and left the church. 40 minutes of doing nothing? But yet there were people in the wilderness for 40 years. They had forgotten the God of their youth. The next generation was growing up not even knowing the works of God. Like the time frame, right? So sometimes steps, uh, they can take a long time. Sometimes steps can be boring. Living in America, it's tough. We like to be entertained. We like the entertain me facet of life. Steps can be boring. Steps can seem pointless. You ever been that? They've been there? Lord, what are you doing? This is pointless. God always knows what he's doing. And sometimes steps can be painful. But the most important thing you can do to arrive at the place of promise is keep taking the steps necessary to arrive. If you are not moving your feet, you will never get there. You've got to be moving forward. You've got to be taking steps. There are things that sometimes seem unbearable, like you can't go on. But we must respond the same way Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed to God for strength and grit. You know, Jesus, he was a tough dude. We think of carrying, carry that cross, just physically carry that cross, yet he was beaten to a pulp and carried. of promise. I got to do what God has called me to do. It says in, in Luke 2, 42 through 44, it says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then it says, an angel appeared to him and strengthened him. And, and, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now let me tell you what. Those were hard steps. Hard steps. Now most of us say, those are almost impossible steps. But yet Jesus was going to do what his father wanted him to do. So the key is that you keep taking steps to get to the place that God is leading you to. Oftentimes, we have people in our lives discouraging you just to give up. Why you stick with this Jesus thing? Hadn't he let you down one too many times? You just need to give up, throw in the towel. It's too hard. It's too difficult. There's no way you can do it. You ever had people discourage you like that? Sure, it happens. Now, hopefully you have cheerleaders on your side encouraging you, and that's hopefully what the church should be, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Hey, keep going. If that's what God has promised, he's faithful. He'll take care of it. But remember this, child of God, anything in life of significant value takes effort and it takes work. It does every single time. It's not about getting an immediate result as much as it's about as a sustainable pace that moves you forward to that promise. 
You know, it's like in a race, we don't keep looking at the starting line, but we look at the finish line. You know how dumb that would be? Now, I know some people look behind us because we're looking at the people we're running against, but how stupid would it be to always look at the starting line? Well, that would be ignorant. Interesting, but that's yet what some of us are doing. Well, Lord, I, uh, you know, or running with your head straight down. You're going to run into all kinds of stuff. Trip, you're going to wreck. You're not going to see what's on your horizon. Got to pay attention to how we're running. Psalms 37, 23 through 24 in the New Living Translation says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. We're going, to look at, we're going to look at three things from this passage. It says, he delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. So, so we're going to look at three questions real quick to help us lead us to our promise. Number one, are you moving? You're like, well, Lord, what are we doing? You're sitting on the couch. When are we going to go somewhere? You ain't even got the keys in your pocket. You don't even have gas in the vehicle. You're just sitting there in neutral doing absolutely nothing. But are you moving? Do you realize you can, you can turn a moving car, but it's impossible to turn a parked car? You ever seen that where you're pushing? All right, turn the steering wheel. You ever just walk, walk out there to any vehicle you want in this parking lot and turn it for me? Possible. But if it's moving, it can be turned. So you have to realize, are you in the same place that you've been for a while? Yes or no? Are you in the same place? So when we think about that, are you keeping yourself there or is God keeping you there? You've got to answer some of these questions. Maybe God has you at a place where he's teaching you something. What's this two-year thing, Lord, in prison? Lord, you've been at this job for two years. I hate this place. Well, learn what he wants you to learn at that place so you can move on. I mean, I'm so frustrated. Man, he'll keep you there longer if you don't learn the lesson. If God is going to exhaust you to the place of promise, you have to learn the steps have to learn. You know, nobody lets you drive until you learn all the laws of how to drive. They ain't going to give you a license. You say, what's a red light mean? I don't know. It means go. You're not getting your license today. You know, I mean, I guess, I guess they still test for parallel parking. I've like parallel parked less than like 10 times in my whole life. I lived in Dallas for a while, but I mean, that's just a part of you have to learn the rules before they release you. God's like that. You have to learn what he's doing. But are you in the same place because you were keeping yourself there and God has said move on, but you're too scared to move? Or does God have you there as a season of learning? You know, Pastor Noe, before I started pastoring, I was at, at, uh, at STP for seven and a half years working in security. And I said, in security. If you never worked there, you don't understand what that means. Man, did it provide everything I had need of? Absolutely. Was it a blessing to my family? Absolutely. Was it the most exciting job ever? Absolutely not. There were many years, and I'm going to say years that I sat there, and I said, what in the world am I doing with my life? Lord, what am I doing here? Is this the pinnacle? And then there was moments I was like, I guess I could retire doing this. Like, I mean, I went both ways of it. Lord, why am I here to Lord? There's got to be more like this gate ain't going nowhere. I mean, I'm talking for hours. No, I'm talking day, months, day, months, like compounded time. I mean, I'm sitting there, but watch that fence right there. Make sure that lock don't leave or nobody jumps the fence. Still there. It's rough. 
might, I might get one chance to save the world. I don't know. That's what they always encourage us. You can save the world if something happens. But it never happened. It might, right? You know, that's the whole, that's job security, I guess. So, which equals security force. So, but I was there seven and a half years, guys. And there was moments, and, I, and there was a time I got discontent, and I got promoted up to a lieutenant, more responsibility, a little bit of, uh, I felt like I could produce a little bit more change, but I still was not satisfied. But I began to see God sharpening my leadership skills. I began to see God broadening my horizons with some of the officers and I'd be in, in situations where people would ask me questions. I have, you know, and I'm a Bible guy. So I said, what would you do about this? Well, I don't know if you agree with it or not, but here's what the Bible says. And there was, there was opportunity to reach in a different direction, but I knew God had still called me for more. Seven and a half years, that's way longer than two years in prison. But I felt like I was in the seven and a half years of prison, and I was literally inside a fence. Y'all didn't get the joke or you got the joke? Yeah. So, you know, so, so there's seasons of, of where God has you there, but there's seasons that you get yourself there. Because there was a moment that Noe had to leave the security of that job and insurance and retirement and great pay that I could retire from and take the step into what was next. So I went from there to here. Oh, man, that's, that's, a good, that's a good swap. But I had to endure it for seven and a half years. So if you're in the same place, were you obedient to the last thing that God told you? Sometimes you will not get off the island until you do what God has already asked you to do. Well, I want something next. No, what, what did God ask you to do lastly? Were you obedient to that? Because why would God ask you to do something else if you weren't faithful with the last thing he asked you to do? Man, if that's for you, I don't got the crosshairs on you. It's not personal. I'm just saying, okay? Life lessons. I learned a lot of this. Realize this, every, even slow movement is still movement. Don't worry about the speed, just worry about the progression, right? You know, I love at the end of the year evaluating the year, what did we do well, what could we have done better, but I hope to God at the end of a full year, I got something to show for that year, that there's been some forward progression, and it doesn't matter if it's a little bit, but I hope it's forward progression. If I'm at the same spot or further back, I really need to evaluate, man, how did I get here? What did I do? You know, uh, realize that, you know, what direction are you moving? Just because you're moving, it could be a bad thing. What if you're going backwards? So people say, well, I'm moving. Yeah, you're going the wrong way, Bubba. Come back. Like, he's like, look at me. I'm driving. Yeah, backwards. You ever done that? Had your car in reverse and you think you're going forward or going forward? And you think That's a scary thing. But we're driving like that's normal. Look at me, Pastor. I'm going in reverse at 50 miles an hour. You're going to die. What direction are you going? We want to have forward movement. Moving backwards, though, is sometimes easier to do than moving forward. You know, it's like walking against the current in a river. You know, standing still often causes you to go backwards. You ever done that? If you stand in a river and you're like, just lean, it's easier just, oh, man, the current is just pushing you. You know, to really take those steps forward to that promise, you got to work to move forward. you got to work to take those steps. Moving forward, you have to go against the current. You have to work for it. You know, I wish Christianity was just easy, that we could easily just move forward on autopilot. But every day I got to say, Lord, help me read my word. Lord, help me remember to pray like the fundamental basics. Every single day we got to take a step. Every single day we got to go through the motion. So are you moving? Number two, um, are, are you trusting 
are you trusting God? All right? So you can trust in your own ability or you can trust in God, but you can't do both. Many of us say, oh, I got this. Good luck. It's only going to last so long. But if we say God's got this, we'll realize that we will have more success in our life. Uh, Isaiah 55, 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So you can keep trusting in yourself and be sure to fail, or you can start trusting in God and fail less. It's not that you're not going to fail once you start trusting God, but you hopefully will start failing less. Got me? Do it on your own. That's how many people come to Jesus. Lord, I done tried it on my own. Messed it all up, went to hell and back, and here I am. At the same place, at the foot of the cross, in need of a Savior. You have to do it in the strength of the Lord. You have to allow Him to help you. You have to trust in Him, not in your own ability. You know, just like mom always, you know, people always say, mom always knows best. Guess what? God always knows best. But we don't ask him till last. Been there? Well, Lord, I don't understand why. Did you ask me? Well, no. Learn. So it's not, a, it's not about, you know, uh, never failing. It's about learning every time we do stumble or trip. or You know, we got to learn from our past mistakes. If you're doing the exact same thing that you've always been doing and getting the exact same results that you've been getting, it's because you're doing the exact same thing, doing the exact same way, getting the exact same results. That is the definition of insanity. If you want to change your course, you've got to begin to change something you're doing. You've got to change an action, change a habit. It'll change your life. Man, just write that down. It'll help you. All right? So... Trust will always promote obedience. So do you find yourself not obeying because of a lack of trust? Uh, many people have personal trust issues with people, and that causes you to have trust issues with God. Just putting it out there, I, I know that it's true. Um, you know, if you, if you have an answer really for, for why, have you, have you ever had somebody ask you, say, you know, have you ever seen somebody with broken trust with God? Like, like, I just don't trust God. You know, I, I, you know I, I don't trust him. I don't have confidence in him. So if you have an answer for why you don't trust God, you got to realize that the, that, that the problem is with, with you and your perspective, not with God. Well, God didn't. Oh, hold on. So you're saying God is flawed, that he's not perfect, that he doesn't have all wisdom and all understanding, and he... And he that he doesn't see your life from the beginning into the end and that he doesn't work through all of that? You're, you're saying that God is the issue? You know, uh, my kids are still in that finger-pointing part of their life. Well, he, just go right here, hey, point it right back. It's like trying to point a finger at God when you always need to point right back at yourself. So your confidence in God before God asks you to do anything, could you respond with a radical yes even before knowing the details? That's how you know if you got trust or not. You're like, well, Lord, it kind of would matter if, uh, no. Could you radically say, Lord, yes to whatever you ask me to do? They're like, man, that's scary. I can't say that to most people. I can't even trust my best friends and brothers. You're asking me to trust God? Absolutely, because he's perfect. Can you radically say yes even before you know the details? That passage says, 
that he delights in every detail of your life. Most of us don't believe that. That he's just this bad guy waiting for us to mess up. And the moment we mess up, he says, hey, why did you not uphold my standard? Man, that's not his heart. He loves us. He wants us to excel. He wants us to be all that we can be. But it says that he delights in every detail of your life. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The big things and the small things. The passage says he delights in every detail. So number one, are you moving? Are you moving forward? Just like a baby, you know, they lay. They don't really do anything. <laughs> That's the most boring phase of baby life. And then they start rolling over, and then they start crawling, then they start standing, then they start running, then they start, I lost my kid stage. And then they start jumping. And, man, there's a progression, right? So are you moving? Are you going forward? You know, secondly, are you trusting? But number three, are you stumbling? Whoa, whoa, hold on, Pastor Noe. Am I stumbling? No, I'm a perfect Christian. I don't stumble. Come on, you over-religious Christians. Are you stumbling? Let me, let, me, let me point you to something. Stumbling is a good thing because you only stumble when you're moving. Stand here all day and never stumble. Or I can try to get somewhere and I'll stumble all over everything. Becky and I went uh, camping a while back, and we were going through the trails. You ever been on these off-road trails? They got these little arrows that show you the next place to go, and, man, I don't know what happened. We were following the arrows, but I think they are trying to kill us. I said, man, we saw one guy over there on that ridge, and then we pulled up our phone trying to figure out where in the world we are at. Oh, there was some stumbling. Now, I could have just sat on the rock and been safe. I'd have never got to the destination. I'd have never got back to my water bottle because we were so smart. We didn't take enough water. Right? So I could have sat there. Somebody come get me. Or we could move forward. But we stumbled ourselves to the destination. But let me tell you, we had arrows along the way. Take a right here. Go left here. And then when we finally made our way back to the nice, easy, happy acre trails, I was like, thank you, God, for the paved, smooth path. But life is not always like that. There's rough terrains, there's uphills, there's downhills, there's drudging through the mud, but then there are paved seasons of our life where God just makes, makes level the path. So we have to see that we have to change our perspective about stumbling. Stumbling can, can lead to failing, but, some, but stumbling is not the same thing as, as, as falling. So that, that definition of falling in that passage actually means to cast out, to send away, or to carry away. Like, so that means go, like you're going to go to hell. Like That's what it means, fa falling, like to the point of no return. It's that, because it says he keeps us from falling, right? He prevents us from going to hell, but he stabilizes us when we stumble. So we got to separate those two, but we got to realize failing, that's bad. Stumbling is not a bad thing, but it requires correction. It requires assistance. Um, but you don't stumble if you don't move. Stumbling is not falling. But the devil makes you think that, that perfection is the only way to God and that he won't accept you as a member of God's household unless you're perfect. But he sent Jesus for that so that he could cover the multitude of sins. How many of you have had a life full of multitudes of sins? And if you didn't raise your hand, we're going to call you forward because you're lying. Multitude of sins. If we were honest, if we were real, saying, Lord, <laughs> This brother or sister to my left and right knew who I used to be or what I've done. Or man, like, huh. If we, if we could really see, it would be shocking. But Jesus covered all of those sins. Covered your imperfections. Making you perfect in the sight of God. Stumbling is actually going to be a normal part of the, a normal occurrence in the process, the promise. It's 
it's going to happen. But do you stumble forward? Do you stumble and grab the rock? Do you keep moving forward? Do you grab the hand of Jesus? You know, do you say, Lord Jesus, throw me a rope. And do you grab the rope when he actually sends you the rope? Or are you arrogant and prideful and they'll be like, no, Lord, I got this. And he just sits there and shakes his hand and looks at you. When God sends us a lifeline of rescue, please take it. Stumbling actually means that you're human. Right? You guys stand up with me. We're closing. So now what? What do we do now? What, what if we've never really received that promise? Maybe if we don't know what that promise is. Now, I, I know there's many, many people that will say, well, everything you need to know is in the Bible. But I'll tell you what, there's personal promises, personal things that the Lord has to show me in order to be personally successful. I had to know if I needed to marry my wife, Becky, or not. If she was not ministry-driven, do you realize Pastor Noe could not do this job that I'm doing right now? She hated ministry. Some of you might need to consider that when you're looking for a spouse. If you're built for ministry and your spouse is not, you better say, hey, sorry. Uncompatible. What if he's really good looking? It don't matter if he pulls you away from doing all that God has called you to. We all going to get uglier the older we get. Husbands, that's when you look at your wife and you say, man, you're, the be- you're as beautiful as you've ever been, baby. But it's not about the outward. It's about the internal. But, like, we, we have to realize that there are choices we make to get us to the promises that God has for us. But what I'm talking about is the Spirit of God can give you specifics. That dream that Joseph got, it was specific to Joseph. Jesus in the garden, what God showed him what he must do was specific to Jesus. But what you have to ask today is, Lord, what is specific to me? Because the moment he shows you what he's called you to be and what he's called you to do, now you have a promise. Something to look forward to, the finish line, saying this is what God has called me to. Some of you, it's going to deposit in your spirit right now, and you're going to get more excited than you've ever been. Because you've never had the promise. You said, well... You know, the Ten Commandments, don't sin. That's not what I'm talking about. So this is the general will of God. The Holy Spirit will download the specific will of God. What house to buy, what house not to buy, what car to buy, what car not to buy, who to marry, who not to marry, what job to take, what not, not job not to take. How many of you ever took a job you wish you would have prayed about before you took it? Lord, how dare you bless me with this. Man, you never asked me. I had another job lined up right after that, but you never asked. So the Holy Spirit inside of us is going to be the one that bursts the promises. Everybody close your eyes. I don't know who in this room has received that promise and who has never revealed, that has never had that promise revealed to them. But I know that the Holy Spirit is the illuminator. He is the one in just one moment can reveal the vision for your life. And the moment you see the target, now you can aim towards the target. So, Father, right now, that you would reveal what that promise is. It's way more than just salvation, Lord. There is kingdom significance in our lives. Lord, I speak against the lie of the enemy over people right now that says they are built without purpose. 
built without promise. Father, everything you build has a promise and has a purpose, and you never mess it up. Holy Spirit, illuminate. Everybody look back up at me. I hope for some of you, God, in that moment, had that kind of ah moment. But if you didn't get it, keep pursuing it. So what do we do today? Commit to trust and move towards the promise of God. That's what you do. You move forward towards the promise of God. Pastor Noe, I ain't got a promise. Get your promise right now. We're going into January. We know what we do in January, right? New Year's resolutions, baby. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Hey, make it your goal to find the promise of God for your life. And then work all year in pursuing it. Tell you what, that'll be easier than a dietary slenderizing plan. It will. Because you'll be built for it. You'll be passionate about it. You will see it with your own eyes and you will take the steps to get to it. And then you begin to see yourself fulfilling that. And it's exhilarating. It's exciting. And you realize that's what you're built for. So you can you can trust or you can submit to the process now. Because you can trust God's plan. You've seen that plan. You've seen that promise. Close with this passage, Jeremiah 29, 10 through 11. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And then we all know verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. But in that verse 10, it says, when the 70 years are over. 70 years, Lord, that's a long time. I pray God doesn't tarry that long for you begin to step into the path, the promise. But the moment he shows you what that promise is, you can begin to start, start out the process. Through the process, you will receive the promise. So how many of you today said, Lord, if you show me what the promise is, I will submit to the process. And that, ain't a easy, that ain't a easy raising of the hands. What if your life looks like Joseph? You're like, never mind. I was just playing. I did that halfway raise. It's like kind of yes, kind of no. But you got to predetermine in your mind to walk out the process to the promise. Because sometimes God won't give us the promise till we agree to the process. Well, that ain't very fair. I believe that if we knew the whole course before us, most of us would wuss out and chicken out. If I was Joseph and I knew that whole I said, never mind. Daddy, take this coat back. I'm just going to go back with the sheep. It's too hard. It's too much. And would have almost been willing to let a dream die. But I believe that God gives us just enough if we're willing and we desire to be obedient to the next step that over the course of our life, we will see a life fulfilled, full of promise. But you got to submit to the process. One more time. Who will commit if God shows you the plan? He, he, he reveals the promise. We'll submit to the process. All right, Lord. So I thank you for each one that boldly lifted their hands.
Lord, we don't know what this next year looks like. Father, if you tarry and you keep us here longer, Father, help us to do all that you've called us to. Jesus, if you come back, we're okay with that too. Father, we pray not our will, but your will be done. Father, if we are weary, if we are tired, Father, I pray that at this moment in this season, Father, that you would rejuvenate our strength. Father, I pray that we would be looking at the finish line, not the starting line. Father, I pray that we would lace up our shoes, that we would snug them down tight, and this would be a year of progression. Forward motion. Father, I'm believing you for great things in my life. I'm believing you for great things in the life of this church. And Father, I'm believing you for great things in the life of your people. So Father, this morning I just release Holy Spirit to be the illuminator. To be the dream giver. To be the fulfiller of all of the promises that you've given us. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.